Thank you very much. The great Rabbi Burns wrote that um, the purpose of life is a life of purpose. And the experience of caring for my autistic son, Giles, has, was my life for 35 years. And uh, like many parents of a child with autism, the disorder has come to dominate my life. I have been long involved with support services and uh, education and training and uh, various strategic initiatives in the autism sector, and I will talk a little bit about them. Currently, it is via Autism Speaks, which funds research into the causes of autism. Um, I'm also working with the World, World Health Organization and, and, and peripherally a bit with the United Nations, who have recently set out a target for slightly similar to my strategic uh, to understand the, the causes of autism, and they've said in 10 years. So it's, they're saying 2019. So it, it, it is moving forward. And all that really is grounded in the traumatic childhood, which uh, uh, the chairman mentioned. Um, but I really, people say, oh, well, you've done a lot. And of course, I do work very hard and started working at 18. I'm still working flat out now. Um, but it, it's not really what I've done. It's all a matter of teamwork. And I always think of myself as a gardener, sort of, growing other people to do the things that need doing. Now, autism really brings into sharp focus what it means to be human. Um, I was born in Germany at a time when uh, Jewish families were described as subhuman. And we moved around seven countries of Europe looking for a safe place. My parents then did a very brave thing and uh, organized for me to come to England onto a kin on a kinder transport uh, into the arms of strangers um, who fostered me and brought me up as they would their own. And they, my birth parents, um, never really expected to see me again. I can just about remember when I was five years old, my weeping mother uh, putting me on the train in Vienna um, and then let go. And professionals also have to learn to let go. And to me, the phrase captures the, uh, the experience that parents have of letting their children go, letting others help their vulnerable child. I grew up in England, studied mathematics at night school, became a systems engineer, and founded an early software house which uh, pioneered flexible working for women. And the, the, the experience that I had there in outsourcing, I have now used very much in my philanthropic activities. And I was the first woman this, the first woman that, always fighting for equal citizenship. People used to ask me, are you a feminist? And I'd say, no, um, I'm a humanist. I really believe in that equal citizenship, and that applies for people with learning disabilities, it applies for people with physical disabilities, and of course it applies less so for people with women. Women, sorry. Now my link with Bailey, oh, excuse me, I'm looking for Hanky. Um, got it. Uh, my link with Balliol comes from the Oxford Internet Institute, where they have uh, 
given me a foundation fellowship uh, for the activities that I've done there uh, with the Internet Institute, and that is concerned with not the technical side of the Internet, fascinating though that may be, um, but um, the social, economic, legal, and ethical issues involved in that 21st century. And uh, Professor Margit uh, from the Oxford Internet Institute um, is speaking this afternoon on women and the web. All these things are interconnected. One, one used to, in order to achieve something, have to focus very, very tightly on something, digging down for some eternal truth. But at the moment in science, it seems as if it's the cross-discipline, the multidisciplinary things that is really helping society and certainly helping equal citizenship. So today I'm going to concentrate on autism and will interweave the story of my son Giles with the autism story. It's a lifelong disorder affecting over half a million people in the country. It varies in severity, so it is called a spectrum disorder. Um, about 55% of the people affected are below the historic cutoff point of an IQ of 70. And others, often described as having Asperger syndrome, are highly intelligent. All of them have difficulties with communicating, difficulties with forming relationships with others, and find it hard to make sense of the world, world around them. And in our family, my husband always focused, you know, if only he could speak on the communication side and so on. But actually, it was the inability to um, make relationships with others, and a particular child that doesn't bond with, with his parents, um, that really made his life so, so impossible. He was a beautiful baby. Um, I know all parents say that, but, you know, he was particularly um, lovely, and it's almost a characteristic. And we led a quiet life in the country, and I deliberately made it quiet because I'd had such a turbulent childhood. And, um, and at first, we seemed to be doing rather well. I'm a mathematician. I really didn't know anything at all about children. Um, and uh, so we managed to bond, or at least I bonded to him. Uh, it was one-sided. And he physically thrived. Um, I began to be worried at about eight and a half months when I took him to the doctor and sort of said, um, I said, his head's a funny shape, which it was. It was sort of flat at the back. But in fact, I was worried about his, his um, social development. And, um, but then, really like this changeling in the, in the fairy story, he turned over a matter in a matter of a few weeks into a wild, unmanageable toddler, and he lost the speech that he had. And autism is one of those disorders, I think there are others, but rare, where you actually regress. He was developing, however slowly, and then he lost it all. Not the terrible twos, but he was later diagnosed as autistic. I mean, autism was then, I'm talking about the early 60s, um, considered to be a rare disorder. And today, the latest estimates are that something like one in 100 children are on that spectrum. 
And that increase being partly better diagnosis, um, partly, and again significantly, but partly a wider diagnosis of what it means to be on the autistic spectrum. Certainly in the 60s we didn't talk about a spectrum. Um, some of it may be real. So there's still a thought about is autism growing and, and in, in numbers. It, um, there are no reliable figures um, available for adults because these things were not uh, measured and monitored, nor is there any actuarial information. I'm just starting a project with the Mental Health Foundation to try and find out you know, a little bit more about life expectation, which is, I was always told, and every parent is told, is, is normal life expectation. But I frankly have attended too many, too many funerals of young people with autism that it doesn't feel like a normal expectation. And, but that rapid increase really explains some of the uh, poor national funding, because uh, I lobby quite a lot for that. Uh, and the unacceptable waiting time for services. And there's an awful lot of things that we don't know, but we're pretty sure that the earlier you start to intervene with something like autism, the better the prognosis. So each year lost, each year delayed is, is not able to be recovered. I mean, worldwide, a new case of autism is diagnosed about every 20 minutes. So it is a significant thing. Um, although uh, it's been separated out from learning disability from, for some 60 years now, uh, the World Health Organization is only this year naming autism specifically. And that's in an epide epidemiology study of all learning disability, including autism, in the low to mid-income um, countries of the world. The incidence does not seem to vary by continent, by diet, by climate. It certainly varies by gender, because autism is found four times more often in boys than girls. One of the early studies found a significant link between autism and engineer parents. I'm a systems engineer. They say, oh, yeah, I can't that. And there's been a raft of studies linking autism with, uh, to difficult births, uh, to Jewish parents, to mercury from mobile phones, old iPod batteries, and other products of the electronic age, to firstborn children. That, that's obvious what happens to the statistics there. Like me, we decide not to have any more children. So he, you know, the, the only child is then... Um, and none of those studies really add very much to uh, the understanding of the disorder, uh, but many of them actually adding to confusion. Um, equally, there's no evidence that vaccines are contributing uh, to the increase in autism, but rather like the occasional child for whom uh, eating part of a tiny nut can bring on a, a, a sort of life-threatening reaction. Um, it's possible, it's possible that some children's immune system is, um, can't deal with toxins and so vaccinations might lead to something. Uh, the MMR study is not closed. 
We've spoken about the genetics, and so far about 20 genes are thought to be associated, not so much with autism, but with autism susceptibilities. It's all getting a bit sort of mucky, isn't it? And the clues come from uh, the simpler single gene disorders, where there are also autism symptoms. It's been known for a long time to run in families. If you have a child with autism, there's a 5 or 6% chance that a sibling would also be affected. And Autism Speaks, my current charity, is investigating the uh, incidents in cultures such as Saudi Arabia, a very interesting place to work in, um, where it doesn't just happen that close family members marry, but it is the norm, and over 50% of parents are closely related by blood, usually first cousins. Giles was diagnosed at the Park Hospital here in Oxford um, at about the age of three. And we were advised to put him in it, into an institution and start our family afresh. We sought genetic counselling, again here in Oxford, but there was then little understanding of uh, what is now recognised to be one of the most heritable disorders. In any event, we decided to concentrate on the child we had, though mourning the child who might have been. In that dark age, um, then disability was called mental handicap, uh, and many children were categorised as ineducable, came under health rather than education. And the early exception to that ineducable uh, label was autism, and so many parents actually pushed for a diagnosis in autism because that would get their children into special schooling of some sort rather than literally given up as far as education is concerned. And that's a wonderful example of how statistics can get skewed. Parents were pushing for this diagnosis. As one of the so-called refrigerator mums of the period, the implication was that we had somehow caused this disorder. I certainly, I was conscious that my maths degree wasn't good, um, not good training to be a mother, but I just could not believe um, that any mothering deficiencies could have uh, affected my baby so dramatically, catastrophically. And my guilt was not helped by terms such as, he's an elective mute, which can be deeply hurtful as if he's choosing not to communicate with me. So don't sneer at political correctness. Uh, a lot of changes, uh, the, the big impact from when Mahatma Gandhi uh, changed the, the name of the untouchables to children of God. Today, a, a diagnosis of autism covers such a range of uh, disability that we refer to autisms. Uh, some are aggressive. I've, I used to think they all were, and it was some time before I realized that other children were not like that. Uh, some not. It's striking that they often co-occur in the same family. Um, some are associated with epilepsy, quite a lot, 30, about a third. Um, some have no epileptic problems. 
um, some of the high-functioning end, Asperger's syndrome. We say autistic spectrum, but since it ranges in at least three dimensions, language, social, obsession with order, we should perhaps talk about an autism space, an autistic space. But whichever which way you look at it, we know very little. The ideal service for families with an autistic member would, would provide optimum medical, uh, educational, social and support services for people with autism spectrum disorders and their families and carers. A holistic approach to autism. And that's only possible if agencies work together and if there are enough professionals, if funding is targeted irrespective of coexisting problems and there's a national register of those requiring support. That's not my dream. That summary uh, comes from what is now the NHS Scotland. So we've known sort of what's needed for quite a long time. My husband and I got one period of respite care for Giles, uh, we again let go. Actually, it was fairly disastrous for him, and I would never actually do it again, but it was better for us, and we were more able to cope um, after the break. Uh, we had a comparable act of independence when uh, um, attendance allowance was first uh, introduced. Surely these benefits, attendance allowance, were not intended uh, for me with my husband in full employment. But I learned to do away with guilt and take whatever help was available. We were desperate at reading anything that might be relevant. Uh, the then current fad was to pump vitamins into the children, mega vitamins. And even today, there's a disturbing fringe on the web uh, offering conspiracy theories galore at, at a price. It's clear that certain interventions help certain children, but no one knows which is going to assist who and in what circumstances. So parents can bankrupt themselves emotionally, financially, for treatments having absolutely no effect. Sometimes to an abusive level, a strict training regime of a young child of 40 hours a week is not, to my mind, respectful of that little person. And there have been tragic examples of more extreme interventions. And I'm reminded of Florence Nightingale's um, stricture to do no harm. And educators also need a Hippocratic Oath. Because without that, we're acting as if the child is indeed ineducable. And we need to distinguish between child assent, parental permission, legal authorization, and moral responsibility. The National Autistic Society, lead cha cha um, charity in England, 
They spun off research autism, which compares and contrasts the many interventions um, so as to give parents meaningful facts and figures. But that charity is only a few years old. It's not very well funded. And it's only just beginning to look at some of them. So let me tell you what little we don't know. There are whole schools, schools of thought, dedicated to something called Applied Behaviour Analysis, ABA. It was devised by Ivor Lovas in the mid-60s, um, using rewards for the tiniest progress in social behaviour or academic learn units. Rewards, a smarty, a raisin, very crisp, not crisp, but I mean very specific rewards, because just saying, well done, oh, I think that's good, um, doesn't work. And um, what do I mean by a learn unit? Very simple. You put the cup on the saucer rather than throwing it across the room or the saucer on the cup. Very specific learn units. And if a pupil has mastered um, a learn unit um, between 18 and 20 times over a period, I've got that wrong, 18 out of 20 times uh, over a period of, of three days, um, the pupil is credited with having learnt that learn unit. So it's very painstaking, very labour intensive. But just because pupils can't speak and have problems with communication doesn't mean um, that the national curriculum is necessarily closed to them. They're all learning to learn. And educators working one-to-one -one with pupils uh, is an ABA hallmark. And across the UK, this one-to-one -one working model is used in many schools, not using a totally ABA. It's a one-to-one, -one, very labour-intensive. And of course, there's also speech and language therapy, um, some based on ABA, uh, to reinforce desired speech patterns. And um, there's some films around showing people doing that. And I always, always find them a bit demeaning. But anyway, some of them work. There's a lot of media hype about diet, uh, so let's comment on that. Um, there are two common treatments, uh, removing grain, especially wheat, and removing dairy products from the diet. And those two treatments do work for some people, but not for others. <laughs> Uh, if they work, it's very dramatic. It's within weeks for children, um, months for, for adults. Very dramatic. Correction, sorry. Days for children, weeks for adults. That's pretty fast for anything to happen. But note, though, that as yet there is no scientific review of diet studies have shown a positive result. So although we think it works, works dramatically, works well, easy to do, or relatively easy to do. Um, in Who's Who, um, I give my recreation as wishful thinking. And we shouldn't overlook uh, wishful thinking when a new inter intervention is uh, announced. Uh, there's another intervention called TEACH, spelt with a double C, and that was the late Eric Schopler. Um, he was another pioneer in the uh, autism education. Not a name known to everyone, uh, but this kind and humane man. He founded TEACH. It's now used all over the world, uh, and one of the most widespread approaches to autistic children. 
And he trained Dr. Schopler with uh, the more famous, but to me infamous, psychoanalyst Brudel Bettelheim, who compared the parents of autistic children to concentration camp guards. Eric Schopler, together with the late um, Dr. Bernard Rimland, co-founder of the Autism uh, Society of America, saw instead caring people who had frequently raised normal, and one learns politically correct to talk about neurotypical children, in the same household. And those two first described autism as a brain disorder, not a mental illness. And the aging of so many autism pioneers has triggered one of my current projects, uh, which is to commission a history of autism, uh, conversations with the pioneers, and it's going to be published by Wiley Blackwell next spring. The history of medicine, there, there are things we can learn from that, and it, it's, it's quite a scholarly work. I'm very pleased with it. Let me talk about another intervention, which is... Uh, more extreme, facilitated communication. It's not in regular use in the educational system, though it's widely used uh, with apparent success in Germany. Uh, it was originally from Australia, uh, and it was claimed that it allowed non-verbal individuals to communicate via a keyboard, and a helper just sort of gave them a little bit of physical support to do it on the keyboard. Now, its detractors insist that it's invalid because it's rather like the Ouija board. It's the helper that's actually communicating via the keyboard, not the, uh, the individual. That was my belief. And I'm trying to be open-minded uh, because I have read of a severely autistic boy, Jamie Burke, um, who's one of the earliest students and one of the most successful beneficiaries. I mean, he now has a lot to say, and only partly by keyboard. So, sounds funny, doesn't it? But even one such example encourages parents to demand standard educational opportunities for all. It's ever our dream, or is it nightmare? that inside every child with autism, there's a normal child trying to get out. And it is a nightmare. I learned relatively recently to think of uh, autism as a different way of living. And that makes conductive education in which teachers draw from their pupils rather than impart knowledge more natural. Education has, in any case, changed its mission over the years. Um, it's changed, really, from knowledge to skills. Skills that last, rather than knowledge that fades. And that's dramatically true of special education. And like the sculpture, sculptors chipping away at the block of stone, the teacher is always trying to reach the child. There are a lot of longitudinal studies specific to autism, and they concentrate really on children at risk. I talked earlier about being in families, but by tracking the development of babies 
born with an older sibling with autism. So you've got a family that has an older sibling, new baby coming along. But by tracking that, almost from pre-birth actually, uh, researchers are able to spot potential problems where development is starting to diverge um, from what is expected. So spot problems, not necessarily make a diagnosis um, as early as one year, uh, perhaps even coming down to nine months. And that's valuable time gained in which to make uh, an intervention. I made many mistakes trying to raise Giles. Even with all the love in the world, it was not a pretty story. Huge amounts of energy and effort. At one time, I seriously thought of getting a sheepdog uh, to help me with Giles, to run after him, to keep him up. It was just awful. Um, and uh, I'm intrigued to, to recently read of assistance dogs, which are used for precisely that sort of purpose. Chaos reigned in our family from the years three to five. Um, but I could pick him up then uh, and so avoid the worst disasters. He was doubly difficult in puberty, um, which started far too early at the age of 11. And think how difficult we all find puberty. Um, but he couldn't cope with it at all. And also at that time, he developed epilepsy for the first time. Um, about a third of people with autism are either born with, it, with epilepsy or develop it later. And brain research shows some closeness of the abnormalities. And the associations between autism, epilepsy, and learning disabilities such as tuberous, tuberous sclerosis, fragile X, and Down syndrome are important in meeting affected people's needs. But next to nothing is known about the nature of the relationships. At one time, Giles was pres prescribed lithium as, uh, on the basis of his possible uh, manic depression. We did have good days and we did have bad days. Um, certainly, depression is equally probable as existing alongside autism. And the suicide statistics for Asperger adults is a horrendous 6%. That's nearing the 10% rate of the very severe mental illnesses such as schizophrenia. Asperger children usually realize that they are different to other children between the ages of six and eight. So they themselves know that there's something it's important to help them fit in, uh, perhaps by getting uh, members of their peer group to help uh, choose their clothes and sort out their haircuts. Um, bullying, I know it's common, but bullying is more common, something like four times more common than among their peers. And in the teenage years, an average of one in 10 Asperger adults are actually victimized by their peers. And figures are probably conservative because with the demand for sameness and the acceptance and seeking out of sameness, 
um, children with autism accept the world, that's how it is. Um, and what is undisputed is that six out of every hundred adults with Asperger's succeed in taking their own lives. Now, given those facts, I mean, we really must learn more about the nature of autism spectrum disorders. An investment in research is uh, essential to further knowledge. Life is not just the one with autism. We decided to restrict our family, but we all had ourselves to keep going, not least keep our own sanity. As I said earlier, what the family needed was a sort of wraparound system of report, support, rapport. Giles didn't sleep much, uh, so my husband and I operated a shift system. No wonder that the separation rate among uh, parents of autistic children is up to 80% compared to something like a third uh, in other families. And looking back, it was a terrible period. One of the practical research studies that my Shirley Foundation funded much later uh, here at Oxford was a comprehensive study of sleep patterns and parents' perceptions of them. That was at Oxford's Park Hospital, the very same hospital, actually, that Giles went to for diagnosis. He went there Monday to Friday um, for eight and a half months with me staying in the mother's unit there to try and get a diagnosis. It was that rare at the time. It was Great Ormond Street Hospital who first used the A word to me um, and introduced a child therapist. And too often, I think, researchers don't talk to clinicians and clinicians don't talk to educators. Nobody seems to listen to the parents who are, after all, experts, not in much, but in our own children. And it is important, I think, to trust in instincts and not let the professionals push the family into anything. And I've been pretty stubborn about some things where, anyway, yeah. I mean, there is a crying need to train mainstream teachers to make the term inclusive more meaningful, uh, to have associated specialist units, and indeed special schools are still needed. Giles lost the few words he had. Um, he never spoke again. Uh, but for others with speech, and there are many, um, vocabulary and pronunciation are, seem to rely less on family conversations uh, than the Americanism of TV and films. Giles had one term at an early, early old-style training centre until he flinched when I waved him goodbye. Somebody had been hitting him. Parents, indeed everyone, has to learn to listen, listen very carefully, very hard to non-communicating children. Later on, he went to an excellent um, primary school, but we never managed to find him any secondary schooling. He was, after all, then classed as ineducable. Uh, there were occasional day services that uh, offered to help, but. Uh, Often I'd just get home after having settled him in somewhere um, to get a telephone call with uh, somebody speaking rather through gritted teeth. Uh, Mrs. Shirley, we cannot really cope. Could you come and get it? 
so that I'd just about had one cigarette and I'd be turning around and having to go again. We got a bit of financial help uh, from various grants. Uh, most of the applications procedures totally irrelevant to, to autism. And there's a crying need for more and uh, better partnerships to meet people's needs rather than trying to squeeze everybody into a framework of existing services. A quarter of pupils on the spectrum are ex excluded from school at some time. Two-thirds of those more than once with others being bullied and ostracized in inappropriate settings. And the National Autistic Society reported um, that only 40% receive an appropriate service suitable to their needs. And if that's poor, it's a lot better than the 3% uh, of adults they estimate to be getting suitable services. But things are improving. Eventually, um, when Giles was 13, I cracked up and both of us finished up in hospital. I came out of mine after a month and was back at work within the year. And I am a workaholic, so a year was quite a long time to be unable to work. Giles stayed in an old-style subnormality hospital for 11 years. He was in a locked upstairs ward of 12 adolescent boys. We took him home every weekend, then couldn't manage even that, so we're reduced to taking him out for a weekly picnic in the ground, so we'd go for the day. That's fine in summer. Uh, I'd take the food and we'd, we'd picnic out, but awful in winter when we cowered under heat-reflecting sheet. It's very difficult to retain any sense of family. When I phoned midweek to find out how things were going, uh, I was very frequently told that uh, the activity for the day is we've been hoping to go out. And there were still lots of people leading such restricted lives. So Giles became institutionalized in hospital and, um, as can so often happen, lost most of his human rights. And the abuses made us determined to get him back into the community. And so we set up the Kingwood Charity. Oh, who was the lady I was talking to about that? Yeah. And Giles was the first residence in the first service. And today that uh, charity supports uh, over 50 um, at autistic adults who defined as the ones whose needs challenge services. It's a dynamic definition because as the service gets better, the people that come in are yet more difficult. Um, some are living in their own homes with, uh, funded by housing benefits, uh, some in parental homes, or at least one in parental home, and a few in a small facility for five adults. And we are managing to really support 50 adults who, who are living very well in the community. Because few adults who receive a childhood diagnosis of autism are self-sufficient. Less than 10% do well. 
and the remainder are dependent on support in all aspects of life. The additional lifetime cost affecting, um, resulting from autism with learning disability, and that's not all as I explained, but is estimated to average 4.6 million lifetime cost. Only 7% education, which you might expect to be there, uh, some indirect support, but most of that is in lost employment because many of people with, on the autistic spectrum, um, the 45% with the average or above average intellect should be in work and they're just not getting there. And the national cost of autism has been estimated at an astonishing 28 billion a year. And if you remember, 28 billion would just happen to be the cost of the Northern Rock. Uh, we never got anywhere near um, considering even paid or voluntary work for Giles. But jobs are now achievable um, for some of his peer group via uh, work placements and support from organisations like uh, uh, the Disability Equality Scheme uh, and the National Autistic Society's Prospect Service. And, any work does seem to be best based on the child's specialist interests, obsessions, if you like. And in Giles's case, the only thing he was really interested in was jigsaws, very simple, 20 jigsaws. Uh, and he loved cats. We'd always had a cat, and poor cat you know, certainly earned his keep. So perhaps I might have looked for some simple jobs in a toy shop uh, or sweeping up in a cattery. Although there are university students here and elsewhere on the autistic spectrum, using, usually reading maths or computer science, they do need an understanding environment. And most aren't really very happy students, and a lot of them drop out. We accept that it's discriminatory not to provide documents and keyboards in Braille for people who are blind. But few understand that social inclusion can be actively discriminatory in the case of Asperger's syndrome. Perhaps we all need to adapt our ways of working, our ways of living, rather than the conceitful reverse, expecting intelligent adults with autism to adapt to standard work environments. They must be according to equal citizenship, and that's the theme of this weekend. At the moment, they are, I made the analogy between subhuman, but they're not getting equal citizenship. And a good strategy to help young people um, develop specialisms um, is to direct them towards consultancy rather than employment because the sheer interview situation is just so difficult that they don't get through and they get very depressed. Now, my experience is of a profoundly affected child in days long past. But a recent survey showed that both parents and professionals still feel that there is, and I quote, very little available indeed.
My largest charitable project was Prize Court School near Newbury for pupils with both autism and learning disabilities. And that made me think about what education's about. Certainly it has changed its mission. Used to be largely knowledge. And now that each of us has access to so much information, education is much more about skills, skills that last rather than knowledge that fades. And that's especially true of special education, so hang on to that thought. Skills rather than knowledge. Prowse Court is a day and residential school and was the focus of my dreams and working life, working day, um, for five years. And three times I nearly gave up uh, all hope of making the school happen. Uh, first, when the planned relationship with a Japanese and American school, on, well, I knew nothing about education, when that relationship broke down. Um, secondly, when we had only two pupils signed up on opening and we already had 23 staff. And thirdly, when Giles died unexpectedly in the middle of that project and I lost all momentum. It is cruel that loss becomes ever more painful. With most things, it's easier the second, the third, the next time. Grief, uh, the last gift, the expression and proving of love is different. Our earlier sorrows, mourning the child that might have been, mourning the grandchildren we were not going to have. Each loss seemed to sharpen the pain of his death. But love, love transcends death and grows to take over the bereaved person's life. And I have now learned to live without Giles, without his need of me, and bittersweet because while it is a wonderful relief not to have him survive me, we miss him terribly because we used to spend a lot of time with an adult child. And the death of a child is unimaginably painful. And for a long time, his sheer absence uh, was like losing a leg, um, lopsided and out of balance. And, but eventually, one does learn to, to live again and to walk with crutches. And there's always an upside to difficult times. Um, the newfound freedom from worry has energized me anew. And autism has become my ongoing mission, uh, a mission that makes sense of Giles's life uh, and mine, the life that was saved. Nine years ago, I started to focus on the big question. What causes it, autism? What is autism, as distinct from what it looks like? And science has also moved on from behavior to biology. So let me talk a bit about what's happening in biomedical research. By measuring heads, circumference of heads, children with autism uh, have been shown to average a normal head size at birth, because these things are recorded, but increase above the population norm 
for the next three years, on average, of course, so that on average, young children with autism have larger head sizes. What can that mean? But this then later evens out. What can that mean? And internally, imaging technologies show the difference in the brain anatomy so that, for instance, you and I process faces when we're looking at faces. What are we looking at? How do we recognize it as a face? Is it upside down? Is it, uh, but we process faces in a certain part of the brain, but those with autism use a different part. We can show that with Im imaging. And what can that mean? And recent research shown that it's the cabling between different parts of the brain that is the central problem. What can that mean? My current charity is uh, aiming really to determine the causes uh, of this baffling disorder. And the dream is for a practical biomarker. Wouldn't it be wonderful for something as simple as head size or card, it thought, yeah. And there are a number of major, major programs going on. The international search for the genes that, if not causing autism, rather confer susceptibility, is the Autism Genome Project, led by Professor Tony Monaco here at, at Oxford. And that's coming to the end of its second phase this year, and there are exciting prospects for future work that will support the diagnosis and treatment of autism. And even cold-blooded scientists use expressions like, we're at the tipping point of discovery. Maybe it's wishful thinking, but anyway. Uh, Professor Bishop was uh, speaking yesterday about the role of genes in language disorders generally. We're really only starting in the 21st century to know what these genes are doing. Autism Speaks also funds uh, mentored fellowships uh, to increase the UK's research capacity. We've recently helped fund a new chair in autism at Cardiff University, and Dr. Su Professor um, Sue Leakham started in April. There are always people asking if we can't do more, but as yet nobody's uh, complained that we're doing too much. The next five to ten years really can be expected to deliver some significant um, advances. Uh, Professor Tony Bailey's Meg Centre here, part of Oxford's Warneford Hospital, um, and progress is hampered, though, by not having enough post-mortem brains, brain material, and by the non-standardization of imaging systems. So you can't sometimes compare results taken at one image center with, with theirs elsewhere. Um, we started an autism brain bank, uh, again based here in Oxford. That was launched um, last year, uh, funded by a single unrestricted donation to Autism Speaks, and it already has seven brains. Now, each capable of providing material for some 50 researchers. Uh, you also need control samples there of people who clearly are not on the autistic spectrum. Because we really don't know which areas of the brain will become the focus of future research 
So samples are taken from all areas. And I wear a bracelet that I can't take off. It, it's not soldered on, but it hasn't got a thing. And, and that records that my brain, indeed my body, is to go to Oxford University. There's still no known cure for autism, although some interventions with people with the high intellect can result, do result, after many years, in a few people learning to lose their mannerisms and becoming seemingly normal. Certainly, I have learned to view autism as a different way of living. But there is no way in which I would ever choose to have a child as profoundly handicapped as my Giles. Despite everything we tried to do, the quality of his life was very poor. But as the Prime Minister found as he got involved with um, cystic fibrosis research, uh, research is slow, research is expensive, it demands involvement, it can't be delegated very far. And the best planning in the world gives perhaps only a one in ten chance of a particular research find, find project finding anything that will make a difference. And progress depends on research, yes, uh, but also vigorous information change uh, among researchers and translation of their findings into service provision. And Chairman, many autism issues are similar to those discussed in the days before dyslexia became mainstream. Autism is no longer something that can remain on the fringes of policy making, provision, and importantly, knowledge. It should be a mainstream and very serious concern. It's recently been rebranded as autism quotient, the autistic quotient, AQ, implying that it is an inherent human condition. Autism strikes at the very heart of what we think of as being human. To understand the autistic mind and allow the possibility of equal citizenship is a major and crucial problem. Thank you very much. <laughs>